Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. We are today going to be jumping right on in to week five in our new series, or not our new series, a series we've been in week five calling Asking for a Friend. Everyone say that with me. Asking for a Friend. And here's the basic premise of the series that we're doing, uh, what we have been the past month, is the, the fundamental truth of what we're talking about is that questions are good. For some reason around faith, and especially in Christianity, people feel weird and they feel a little ashamed to ask honest questions about their faith. And so they say, I'm I'm asking for a friend, uh, and they're embarrassed. But I want to tell you here today that questions are good. And questions won't tear down your faith. Questions, oftentimes, if you engage with them the right way, they'll build your faith and make your faith stronger and deeper. And it's a really good thing. And we're the type of church that doesn't shun skeptics, that doesn't shun questions, that welcomes those things. Because we believe, like I said, it makes faith and makes your relationship with Jesus even stronger. Last week, our lead and founding pastor, Pastor Dale, did a fantastic job teaching on the question that people ask, doesn't everything happen for a reason? And Christians disagree about this, but we, particularly from the perspective of our church, we say, no, we don't think everything happens for a reason. In fact, here's a way to see the world, to see pain, see suffering, and how God is working redemptively in a world full of pain and suffering. I was eye-opening, and I hope it was expanding for your perspective. It was a great message. Speaking of Dale, he's out of town this weekend because his son-in-law, Brandon, graduated from seminary in Kentucky yesterday. Here's a picture of the Locke family. Look at them. There's the Locks. There's the Locks and the Weavers, and so they're off celebrating. And yes, it's true. Kentucky actually has amazing fried chicken, Okay. It really does. So they're off celebrating Brandon and honoring him. They're going to be traveling back here across the next day or two. And so, um, Brandon, if you're listening here, he's the campus pastor over Lake Worth campus. Dude, you did it. We're proud of you. Way to go, man. Way to go. So that's where we've been last week. Now, here's where we're going this week. And I have a lot I want to get to if you can't tell already. Here's the question that we're talking about this week. Last week was, does everything happen for a reason? This week is this. What happens after we die? Oh no, you came to this week. (laughs) What happens after we die? What happens after we die? You know, I had a staff member who's a dear friend of mine uh, come into my office probably a month, two months ago, something like that. And uh, this person had said, hey, um, do you have like two or three minutes? I said, yeah, sure, of course, come on in. I said, I have a stupid question to ask him. Like, what? What stupid, what stupid question are you about to ask me? Like, is Tom Brady good at football? Is he the best of all time? Is it one of those? I mean, I'll tell you the answer, one of the, you know. And, um, and their stupid question they had to ask was they just had a, a friend suddenly and tragically die. And um, it shaken this person up. And they just had questions about it. Like questions about God and questions about death. And, and we just had a heart-to-heart, honest conversation as two friends. And I looked at them and said, first off, this is not a stupid question. Everybody asks this question. In fact, any time 
You have somebody in your life who not only has died, but who's suffering. Maybe you're suffering. Maybe you're seeing pain and suffering around you in your own little circle. If you're watching the news, you see war and genocide and pain and conflict. Any and all of that will make people question their own mortality. It's a normal thing to ask questions about life and death and if something comes after death. In fact, it's not a stupid question. I think it's one of the most important questions we could possibly ask. And I'm here to tell you today, especially if you're new to church, maybe your first time in a long time in church, I want to tell you today, Jesus loves heartfelt, honest, real questions. And this is what we're doing today. So this is a huge topic. I have very limited time. I'm going to speak for a brief hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> kidding, kidding. Um, but I have a lot to cover. And so I'm going to paint with very broad strokes. And people filled entire libraries off of sub points I have in this message. So we're going to be going super broad, super zoomed out. Give me grace. And we're going to try to cover this as best as we can together. So what happens after we die? Well, our main passage for today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses one through 10. We're going to read a lot of scripture today, but this is our anchor passage. And this is the Apostle Paul writing here. And he says this, for we know if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, he's talking about the body, not a literal tent. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Deeply metaphorical language there. Verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For if we live by faith, we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So Lord Jesus, um, would you, I just pray the words of the psalmist, would you open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law, in your word today. Wonderful things. Open our eyes. Lord, we're not here for Bible trivia. We're here to be taught by you, to hear from you, including me. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to see, to hear wonderful things in your word today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So, um, Sometimes really thoughtful conversations about death and the afterlife happen in the most surprising and strange places. 
Uh, one of the places I've noticed this most recently is actually in late night TV. Um, I, I like comedy and all forms of comedy, and so you know, not everybody's as funny as everybody else on late night TV, and that's okay. But one thing that I thought has been particularly entertaining for me is during the pandemic, uh, late show host Stephen Colbert started doing this thing called the Colbert Questionnaire. The Colbert Questionnaire. And the Colbert Questionnaire is 15 questions to get to know the depths of a human being. 15 questions, or if you ask any person these 15 questions, you understand their soul. Questions like, what is the best sandwich? (laughs) Questions like, what is one thing that you should throw out in your house? Questions like, apples or oranges? And everybody knows it's apples because you can't dip an orange slice into peanut butter. Duh, right? Amen, right, exactly. So he asked lots of these types of questions. What is the best action movie? And why is Die Hard a Christmas movie? And all, you know, all that stuff. But then he goes on to ask this. In the midst of some of these silly questions, he says, what happens after we die? And so all of a sudden, late night TV gets pretty deep and pretty philosophical pretty quickly. In fact, he's done this with over 25 mega celebrities about what they think happens after we die, and it's pretty entertaining to say the least. Now, I'm not saying here you should develop your moral worldview, your theology based off what celebrities in Hollywood are saying, but it's entertaining nonetheless. So Tom Hanks, what does Tom Hanks think? What happens after we die? Tom Hanks says, I think we all get to put on helmets and race cars. It's a very Forrest Gump type of thing to say, but okay, Tom Hanks. Uh, Sandra Bullock, she says this, what happens after we die, other than decomposition, our energy stays around the ones we love. Daniel Craig, James Bond himself, what happens after we die, oh, expletive, I think nothing, I think we become stars. Comedian Tiffany Haddish, what happens after we die, she says, well, your body disintegrates, and then everybody fights over your belongings. And then good old Keanu Reeves, Neo himself from The Matrix. What happens after we die? This is the most thoughtful answer of anybody who had shared about all the celebrities. What happens after we die? He went, oh man, I don't know. But then he went on to say, what happens after we die? I do know the ones who love us will miss us. Isn't that thoughtful? That's very thoughtful. Now it's fair to say that many people, at least famous ones, are very confused about what happens after we die, and at best, they're guessing, at best. But I think the reason most people are confused and are guessing about what happens after death is because we just don't talk about it a whole lot. There's a famous pastor who once said that death has now replaced sex as the topic in our culture that's too taboo to talk about. If they're not confused, I think they're honestly, we're just afraid to talk about it. Walter Isaacson, who's one of the best living biographers today, um, one of his most famous biographies that he wrote was the biography on Steve Jobs. This is the only authorized biography by Steve Jobs before his death of, uh, from pancreatic cancer, I think around 2012. And uh, in this book, uh, it's just a, a really fantastic read, um, really interesting about just an, uh, an amazing and complicated person. Walter Isaacson was one time hanging out with Steve Jobs near the end of his life, where he knew he had a long battle of pancreatic cancer. He knew the end was coming. He was terminal. And Steve Jobs got quiet in his backyard, in the garden. And he was contemplating his life and contemplating his impending death and began to open up to Walter Isaacson about his thoughts about spiritual life, because he was famously uh, involved in Eastern religions and had gone to India and had done all sorts of different kind of things. And, um, 
And he went on to tell Walter Isaacson, you know, honestly, I'm about 50-50 on if there is a God or not. And I really like to believe that after we die, that a part of us, our consciousness somehow lives on in some way, some form, some fashion. I would really like to believe that. But then I question myself because it's really convenient for myself right now to believe that because I know what's coming for me around the corner, so I really don't know. Maybe we live on. And then Steve Jobs said, and then again, maybe it's like, click, and you're just gone. And he paused for another long moment. And then he looked at Walter Isaacson and said, you know, it's probably why I never put an off switch on an Apple device. You ever thought about that? If you have an iPhone or a Mac or an iPad, there's no off switch. Because Steve Jobs was always afraid of, what if that's how people work? Off. And he just ceased to exist. I think if we're all honest, that's a core fear that we all have. I know I've struggled with that before. I'm afraid of ceasing to exist. These are real conversations. And so if people aren't confused about life and death and the afterlife, and if you can move a little bit past of being afraid about it so you can talk about it, I think most people are just thoroughly misunderstanding what most worldviews have to say, particularly the Christian worldview. I believe Christians and non-Christians are both really confused about life and death and the afterlife. Because most people, including us here, get our understandings of life after death and heaven and hell. We get it mostly from medieval art and jokes about Peter at the pearly gates. In fact, if you take art and humor together, that's my favorite way of talking about stuff. Does anybody remember the Far Side comics? You know, in the 80s and 90s? The best. It's kind of an absurdist, surrealist humor. It's really funny stuff. So they pictured um, heaven and hell all the time. And I found a couple of them on the internet this week I want to show you. So here's one of people going into heaven and going into hell. Welcome to heaven. Here's your harp. Welcome to hell. Here's your accordion, right? <laughs> right? Now, all the tropes are all there about heaven and hell. Clouds, fire, angels, the devil, pitchforks, harps, halos. Right, here's another one. Here's a picture of, welcome to heaven. One guy's there. Oh, I really should have brought a magazine. Because all heaven is, is people just sitting on clouds, boring all day long. The weather never changes. It's beautiful all the time. Heaven's boring and lame. And then here's a picture of hell and the types of people who go to hell. There's murderers and terrorists and then people who drive slow in the fast lane. (laughs) And all the men said, amen, right? Right, exactly. Now, this kind of pokes itself. Here are some common misunderstandings that people get all the time about heaven and hell because we're not looking at what the Bible actually has to say about life and death and life after death. One, everybody thinks, first here, write this down. Everyone thinks that we will all go to heaven except Hitler. Right? We all go to heaven unless you're Hitler. But Jesus said this. Jesus said this in Luke 13, 23 through 24. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Is everybody going to be saved? And Jesus looks like he's saying, oh, I wish, but no. 
Here's the second misunderstanding everybody has. If everybody gets to go to heaven, except if you're Hitler, if you're a really bad person, well, here's the second thing that we know from the, that we know is a misunderstanding: is that hell is a party for fun people. I don't want to go to heaven; it's boring. All the fun people are going to be in hell. Yeah, it's going to be great. Except Jesus described hell this way in Luke thirteen twenty eight. He says there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the people in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. That doesn't sound fun at all, does it? No. Here's the last one. If hell is a party for fun people, we also think that we get caught up in all the metaphors. We get caught up in all the metaphors. Clouds and fire and harps and accordions and pitchforks and halos and demons and angels, and we just get caught up in all this imagery that we have from our art and our jokes, but we miss the reality of what's going on. What's the reality of what heaven is supposed to be like? What says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. It's at least for heaven, it is wildly better beyond your greatest imagination. Amen. And we just get caught up in all the tropes, but we miss the reality. So what does the Bible have to say about life, death, and life after death? If you're taking notes, always, always, always start with Jesus. Always start with Jesus. He's the core of Christianity. Don't start with any other fringe issue. If you start with Jesus and move outward, you'll be fine. Jesus is the core of everything that we understand about life and death and life after death. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 4 says this. This is the Apostle Paul writing. It says, What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He's the friend of sinners. Dies for sinners like me and like you that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The most important thing that you can understand about the Christian worldview about life after death is that Jesus' own death and resurrection matters more than anything else. We believe that death is not an off switch because we know somebody who has died and has come back from the other side to say, it's not the end, there's more. Jesus' body was not resuscitated. He was resurrected. He was really, for real, dead. And what the scriptures teach and what all his first followers and the eyewitnesses all attest to was not he was raised in their hearts. And it was this spiritual existence. And we just can feel it that he's alive. He was actually alive. He ate breakfast with them. They touched him. They hugged him. He was dead with a capital D. And he is alive in all caps forevermore. Yeah. So this is the core foundation of everything we believe about life and death and life after death. Somebody has died, has come back from the other side saying there is more, and I'll tell you what is to come. Not only what happens when we die, but ultimately with resurrection and new creation, there's so much to say here. There's so much to say here. But let's just what happens right when we die, if it was before Christ's coming again. Next word. So if it starts with Jesus, then it goes to this. It goes to judgment. Judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10. This is our passage we read from today. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us things done while in the body, whether good or bad. 
So the same Jesus who has nail-scarred hands for all eternity, who bled and died for sinners like me and like you, who's the God of holy love, the God who who defines patience and kindness and gentleness himself is the one who sits on the throne as judge at the end of all time. I don't know about you, that gives me comfort knowing what type of judge will judge me at the end of all time, doesn't it for you? It's Jesus himself who sits as the judge. And this is really good news because he's a judge with good intentions, with a good heart that's full of love. It says here in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you. And check this out. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to full repentance, to come to repentance. Jesus doesn't want anybody to perish when they stand before him in judgment. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everyone to come to know him and everyone to be saved. That's his heart's desire. And this means he's a very good judge. Some of you uh, noticed that I I was here, but not on the stage last weekend um, because I, I was trained for a long time for this martial arts thing. I did martial arts growing up, then I got involved in karate again over the past couple years. And so last weekend, I tested actually for a black belt in karate, and I got it, which is cool, yeah. So here's a picture. Here's a picture of me uh, after four hours of getting the snot kicked out of me. The reason I wasn't here is because I literally told Pastor Dale and Keith, I said, I'm not sure I'll be able to walk up and down stairs. One of you saw me walk in church last week. I said, geez, Trevor, you're walking pretty gingerly. And I went, ugh. I was so sore. Here's what I did the night of the test. Here's a picture of me. There it is, right there. I literally dumped a cooler of ice in my bathtub, not realizing there's still cans of soda. <laughs> so that's me and my Coke Zero taking an ice bath. Um, Go back to the picture of me and the sensei. So I'm not just vain going, look what I did. Clap for me. You know, we're not not doing that necessarily right now. I'm showing you this because that is uh, the sensei. I go with his name, Scott Rusnak. He's a great guy. Great guy. We love the dojo that uh, he runs and leads. And he's a really great teacher. And he's also the judge at the black belt testing. And to test for black belt, you have to go to three months of prep classes every other week. So you still have regular classes, then you have prep classes. And he tells you everything that's going to be on your test. And he helps you prepare for the test with your conditioning, with your katas, with your self-defense, with your knowledge, with your sparring, with your grappling, with your physical fitness. He wants you to be fully prepared and is all in on you passing the test. And even still... Some people didn't even make it to the test the week before he told them, you're not ready. If you took it right now, you'd fail. You have to wait a whole nother year. It's because he's a good teacher and he's a good judge. It's the same with Jesus. He's a great master and a great teacher and a merciful judge who wants everyone to make it. But not everyone will. So what happens then if we die and appear before the judgment seat of Christ? What happens if you trust in Jesus and you trust in the master? Well, from our passage in six, verses 6 through 8, it says this. Therefore, 2 Corinthians 5, 6, Therefore, we are confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith and not by sight. 
Verse 8, we are confident as saying we prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So what happens if you trust in Jesus when you die? Well, it's very clear that when you are away from the body, the moment you die, you're immediately in the presence of Jesus. To be away from the body is to be with the Lord. Your spirit will go to be, stand with Jesus and be with Jesus. Remember, we have the thief on Jesus' side when he said, Lord, remember me today in your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him, this thief who's dying of capital punishment for being a thief and deserves to die. This merciful judge looks at him and says, today you'll be with me where? In paradise. What's heaven like? I think a lot of people get mixed up on heaven. And they get mixed up on the metaphors of heaven. Because like heaven is chocolate with no calories. And heaven's a mansion with all the tools I want. I mean, we just get caught up in all this dumb stuff. What's heaven Heaven is paradise with the Lord. It's not the where you're going and what it's like. It's who you're with. Isn't that all great vacations? It's not where you're going. It's who you're with. It's the same thing. Today you'll be with me in paradise. To be away from the body is to be with the Lord. It's who you're with. It's the presence of God. It's not the place. Here's a picture of one of... uh, a dead mentor that I have. He died 10 years before I was even born. It's good to have dead mentors. This is a guy named E. Stanley Jones. You've heard me talk about him before. He's known as the Billy Graham of India. And uh, he died in 1973. And in every picture he's in, he's holding up what he calls the three-finger salute, which stands for three words. Jesus is Lord. And you can even see it on the picture that he autographed there. Jesus is Lord. I read in his autobiography, years before he had a stroke and died, that he wondered what it would be like when he got to heaven. And he was kind of being facetious about this. He said, you know, I think for the, when I get to heaven, the first 24 hours, I'm going to do nothing but sleep and just take the biggest nap ever. Yes, my dude. And then he said, and then the next 24 hours, I would catch up with loved ones who had passed on beyond, before me and say hi to people I had missed and love on people and I'll do all that. And then after that day, then I'll go to Jesus. I have a whole list of questions I have for Jesus. Anybody got a list of questions you're going to ask Jesus when you get to heaven? East Stanley Jones has a whole list of questions he wants to ask Jesus. And then he said, and then after I ask Jesus a whole list of questions I have, then I'll ask him, Lord, do you have any other planets that need to be evangelized and would you send me? I want to go. Very cool, right? And as I was reading that autobiography, or the autobiography of E. Stanley Jones and hearing him say these things, I realized he's been dead for a long time. My entire life and beyond, he's been dead. He's been with the Lord a lot longer than that now. And I thought to myself, I wonder what actually happened when he stepped into heaven. I don't think he did any of those things. I think when he stood before the word of God made flesh, Jesus of Nazareth. This man who was a prolific author and a preacher and a pastor and a writer, I think he would have been rendered speechless, looking at Jesus in awe. And I think overwhelmed by the beauty of Christ, ruined by love and weeping tears of joy, I think E. Stanley Jones in heaven stood speechless only doing this declaring that Jesus is Lord. What's heaven like? Heaven's like that. It's way better 
than snack chocolate and all this other frou-frou stuff that we all think about. It's the uninterrupted presence of the God of holy love that we were designed to walk in the cool of the garden with in the day. It's the restoration of Eden, not clouds and harps. That's what heaven is like. It's the fulfillment of every longing of your soul to overflowing. That's what heaven is like. Now, that's heaven, but then the Bible talks about hell. Now, I believe in hell, not because I like fire and brimstone. I'm not a fire and brimstone type of a preacher. I'm more of a goofball type of a preacher. I believe in hell because Jesus taught about hell more than anybody else in the Bible, and I trust Jesus. And I trust Jesus because he has scars in his hands to save people from going to hell, but he still taught about it. And he says it here again. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us. Things well done in the body, whether good or bad. Now there's a lot to say about hell. There's more than what we could say now. Here's the big guiding principle. Jesus loves you enough to give you what you want. And if you spend your life resisting him and saying no to him, eventually it will come to a point where he'll go, it breaks my heart, but I'll give you what you want. You don't have to be with me. And then 2 Thessalonians 1, 8, 10 says this, hell is not necessarily fire and brimstone, it's this, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction, and here it is, and shut out from the presence of the Lord. If heaven is to be with God, then hell is to be shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people, to be marveled at among those who have believed. And this includes you, because you believed their testimony to you. So if it means to be shut out from the presence of God, because hell isn't where Satan rules, it's not his kingdom, it was made for him. It's not his. God didn't design people to go to hell. But if we don't want him, he will let us have what we want. Think less fire and brimstone. And think more like this. What's hell like? It's to be cut off from the source of all life and the source of all love and the source of all peace and the source of all joy and the source of all grace and mercy and forgiveness. If people think earth is like hell, you're wrong because at least light is fighting against the darkness now. Hell is to be completely shut out from the source of all goodness and its utter darkness and blackness and death and pain and suffering because we've chosen it. And Jesus' clear message over and over and over and over in Scripture again is do everything you can to avoid hell. Be afraid of going there. He doesn't want anybody to perish and go there. 
Turn from it. Do everything that we can to avoid it. Run from it. Flee from it. Be afraid of it. And turn to the one who can save us from it. Jesus warns people because he loves people about hell. Would you turn the lights back on, please? Now, our church doesn't have a letter that starts with H called hell on the back of it. It has another letter that starts with H, and it's called hope. And I'm here to tell you today that Jesus has come to save us all. And Jesus has come to not only give you hope in this life, but in the life to come. Check this out, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. It's going to be on the screen. I can't find it on my notes. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Jesus has not just come to give you life now, but life to come. Would you stand with me? This is the most important thing we could possibly talk about. Because there's nothing more certain in life than one day it will end. And one day I'm going to die. And one day you're going to die. And we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And he bled and died so that you could be with him forever. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't need to fear death. It's okay if you're afraid of the dying process. You don't need to fear death. Death has been killed by Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. If you don't yet know Jesus, this is a safe church to navigate faith in him, to navigate your questions, to try to figure out what he says and what we should believe. But hear me today. No one is guaranteed tomorrow. I wish I could tell you you have all the time in the world to figure it out, but the truth is you don't. And so no one's going to pressure you. No one's going to twist your arm. No one's going to make you do anything publicly to embarrass yourself now. But I would be a terrible pastor if I didn't give people an opportunity right here, right now to go, Jesus, I don't know everything about you, but I know I want to be with you eternally when I die. And we're going to give you that opportunity here. Friends, hear the good news of Jesus Christ. John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? Would you pray with me? And so I'm just going to lead a prayer now for anybody who, if you have never given your life to Jesus and said you wanted to follow him and trusted in him, I'm going to say a prayer now. You don't need to pray it out loud. Nobody's going to make you do anything publicly. But you can just pray this with me in your heart. Say, dear Jesus, I choose to put my trust in you. I believe you lived. I believe you died. I believe you rose again for me. I ask you now to forgive me of my sins and to be the leader of my life. Come be my Lord. Come be my leader. Come be my forgiver. 
and come be my friend. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit and I will follow you all the days of my life. Thank you, Lord. So Jesus, we worship you. You're the God who died in our place. Lord, we deserve wrath, but you showed us mercy. You died for sinners. You descended to the dead. You hold the keys of hell and Hades because you are victorious. And we thank you for opening up eternity to be with you forever in heaven with you and to experience new creation with you. You're here not to trash everything, but to make everything new, and we want to be a part of it. Thank you. Lord, would you help us this day to walk in faith, knowing that this life will perish, but with you, we can walk with you forever. We love you. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. So friends, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll have prayer teams up here if anybody needs prayer for anything, but otherwise go in God's peace. We'll see you next week.